Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. Well, hello, everybody. Welcome in, and thanks for listening to Hail Yes, a Detroit Free Press podcast about University of Michigan athletics. I'm Tony Garcia, Michigan beat writer for The Freep, as always, joined by my colleague and buddy, Reiner Sabin. He's our Big Ten insider, covers both Michigan and Michigan State for us at The Free Press. And, oh, buddy, did we see just how far apart those two programs really are. That's where we're going with this show. Obviously, nowhere else to go. Michigan whips up MSU uh, in every which way a team can be whipped. 49 nothing. somehow might have felt even more than that. Reiner, take from that. It was, it was a bloodbath. Uh, you know, the worst home loss in Michigan State's history. Uh, they were never competitive from the, from the outset. That 12-play, 84-yard drive that featured two back-breaking third-down conversions really uh, set the tone. Then the fourth-down stop on the MSU's first possession just kind of killed MSU's spirit. And from there, Michigan just rolled over them, uh, dominated them in every facet. They had the advantage in every aspect of the game, uh, coaching, execution, defense, offense, you name it. It was it was just total domination. Right. And that was early in the week. It was kind of what was expected, right? I mean, it was one of the most lopsided spreads uh, in, in this rivalry has seen since it's really been being tracked in the ca- in the past couple decades. However, given Michigan's scandal, the allegations that arose late in the week a- after we la- last recorded our podcast, um, I mean, it's not like people thought Michigan was going to forget how to play football, right? But it felt like maybe MSU had a little bit of juice that it needed or there may be some who knows? Just there was that rivalry week story, that thing that always happens. It seemed to be that was it. And Michigan just tabled it, shelved it, put it to the side um, as if it never happened. Um, of course, it did happen. So we will need to talk about it and everything that uh, surrounding NCAA allegations. But that's going to be in the B block. The A block, uh, three thoughts about that game. The beatdown, J.J. McCarthy is now, if not your Heisman frontrunner, and some books have him there. He's darn near it. I mean, just the the the, the evolution and the arc of J.J. McCarthy. And then the state of uh, really the program as, as it heads into the bye week uh, on full, just, just cloud nine. So, Reiner, I'll only let's start with the defense because they finally got their shutout. Then we'll move it to the offense uh, and, and that will parlay into J.J. McCarthy. Uh, obviously, Mike Sainer still the pick six. Uh, the highlight of the night. What what else uh, stood out to you as Michigan State, excuse me, Michigan shut out Michigan State for the first time since 2000, uh, in a, which was a four, 23 years ago to the day, actually, also October 21st, uh, for what it's worth. But that was 14 nothing, not 49. Yeah, I mean, I think the, the biggest thing that stood out was the fact that uh, basically Michigan State didn't get inside Michigan's 40-yard line until the fourth quarter. And so 
they couldn't get anything going throughout the game from the defense uh, and against Michigan's defense. And that, again, it was another credit to Jesse Minter uh, having his guys ready for anything that MSU would throw at them. I mean, Caden Hauser is in his second start. I don't know how much you could have expected from him against that le- top top level defense, but yeah, he he looked a little bit overwhelmed and not ready for the moment. And so Michigan took took advantage of that and uh, controlled it from from the outset, especially on the defensive side. Now, offensively, JJ McCarthy was pretty. Uh, incredible. I mean, making off-platform throws, uh, huge third-down conversions that kept Michigan going. Uh, Michigan didn't need much from its running game, and they attacked the middle of Michigan State's defense, which is actually a great idea because Cal Holiday is a liability in pass coverage, and so Michigan used the tight ends to do that, and it was very effective. Michigan finds your weakness, and then they take advantage of it. It's like a you know, it's like a it's like a predator in the in the wild. You know, they'll they'll find it. Yeah, and not every team is built to exploit every weakness, right? But when Michigan has seemingly strength across the board, like mm-hmm. what's crazy? How crazy is it? I think it's safe to say the weakest part right now of this Michigan def- team, it's rushing attack. There is no one who would have said that going yeah. into the season, and I mean, I just. It, and the the run game doesn't need to get going, but like that's where this is at. That that right. like Corum, a reigning unanimous All American behind an offensive line that's still paving the way. Like okay on the on the ground, um, and they they're without their third their short yardage back yesterday. Which JJ McCarthy, that offense you're talking about, he was seven of eight on third downs when he was on the field against Michigan State's defense, which ranked number three in America. Uh, in third down uh, percentage, uh, like conversions allowed, they were only allowing offenses to convert like just less than a quarter of third downs. McCarthy was seven of eight when he was on the field. And the only one that was stopped was actually the third and one run, their their shortest situation. Um, but we're going to get to, there's, there's tons of time uh, for, for JJ McCarthy praise. Uh, I just want to get back to the defense momentarily because it just felt like a really overlooked storyline because Kate Hauser didn't turn it over against Rutgers, right? Because he had three touchdowns. It was easy to say, Oh, like Michigan state, like they, like they're, they're going to turn a corner, like they're going to turn a corner or they, they found something there. There was not a lot of tape. Like, yes, Kate Hauser had come in with some experience. There was not a full game plan of tape for how we're going to tailor this offense around Kate Hauser, Right. And that's against Rutgers. Even still, he needed 29 passes to throw the ball for 133 yards, right? The second start is never the same as the first. The first start is actually better, yeah, oftentimes, um, because, just because of that unexpected n- nature. So with Michigan having tape film on him, <laughs> who knows how much, right? I guess that's the joke. And also, um, that that was well, a joke. But, 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 but MSU, for any chance they had offensively, Early in, in the first half, Caton Hauser was running to the sideline and getting the play from like a backup quarterback or yeah, someone. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so any chance that and you have to have some sort of momentum like going downhill against Michigan's defense. So any slight hope they had was completely derailed. True. But I mean, again, if Hauser was so good, I mean, he would have probably won the job outright in the in the preseason. I mean, they started Noah Kim. They turned to Caden Hauser. Uh, who knows? They may end up using Sam Levitt by the end of the season. I mean, it's 
it's a mess at Michigan State. Uh, I mean, as much as Michigan's defense was dominant, I mean, you have to also acknowledge the fact that Michigan State is in a really, really, really dire straits at the moment. And right. but, but, they, but they put up they put up twenty four points a week ago, right? Like I, I recognize eventually. Like it's why I picked it forty five to six, right? I mean, right. I say like eventually, I you I thought they were going to break, and this looked like a spot to do it. However. We keep we keep not giving Michigan's defense the credit, right? I don't want to not give Michigan's defense the credit. Michigan State has been a dumpster fire. Their offense has still somehow been moving the ball, producing yards, even if they turn it over. Right? I mean, Maryland, Iowa, Iowa's good defense. Like, I mean, you, I guess, at least the numbers say that. I haven't got. I mean, I'm watching Michigan every week, so it's not like I've got to see it. You see them, but haven't they moved the ball? I mean, not like yesterday. Yesterday was. That's a. That's a. Yeah, that, that's true. And uh, and I think, again, uh, that is a credit to Michigan's defense. I think that, uh, you know, they were especially able to lock down any of the receivers. They didn't really allow much space on the on the routes. They couldn't really get open. I don't think Hauser had, uh, you know, uh, many options to deliver the ball. So it was they were they were they were pretty much blanketed from from beginning to end. And so. Yeah, I mean, it, it was partially Michigan's defense being really good. I think it's also Michigan State's offense not being that good, and that's how you get a forty-nine to nothing result. Uh, it, it takes uh, two to tango. <laughs> yeah, right, exactly. And so I, I think that uh, in general, uh, it was, uh, it was kind of a, a showcase of both programs and the state of the rivalry as it is now where, you know, Michigan is so far above Michigan state that uh, they don't even seem to be in the same league, even though they're in the same conference. Right. And in so many ways, these programs, I mean, there's no, there's just no way around it. It's how far apart the programs really are. If I mean, I mean, Michigan state has to go down to go up and Michigan. um, All they're talking about is national championships. That's it. Right. Like, they're not even talking about Ohio State anymore. Like, do you like just their tone is uh, everything is different. And so just to wrap up the, the defense, isn't it fun? Is do you have fun watching Mike Sane Ristel with the ball in his hands? Um, I mean, talk about someone who I think they could could have used or I mean, not that they need to as, as a punt returner. That's someone who I would trust. I mean, he has like I, I've spoke like I spoke with his his parents for a story I'm working on, too. And like. I just feel like, like from what they described to me, when I watch him return a pick six, I feel like that's what it was like when you watched him j- just growing up. They said, I mean, they said like, I think it was it was his dad who's like, like it's just magic. Like mm-hmm. he ju- he just ha- finds a way. You know what? Some people really do have a knack, and uh, I mean, going oh, sideline and like the, the other pick six, two long pick sixes. Um, well, he was a receiver. I mean, so of course. Uh, so th- there's something to that. Uh, reminds me of a little bit of Eddie Jackson. Uh, he did a little bit more because he was also a punt returner. But Who you uh, at, Alabama, at Alabama, yeah, he he had a knack for being able to kind of set up blocks and get get back to the end zone and make long returns on interceptions, uh, but also showcase that ability and on special teams and so i think there is there's something to be said for some of that that talent like it's not a it's not something that everybody has and so i think mike sandristall like you said has that yeah all right 
now it's time to talk about J.J. McCarthy. Uh, we did it. We we made sure to touch on, on a few other things because J.J. is always our, our lead or often is, is our lead. But there's a reason for it, right? I mean, there there is a reason that people that J.J. McCarthy, I mean, he, he, he is on him. He already was highly regarded and has had nothing but a continued meteoric rise uh, this year. I'm not going to pick off all the stats uh, that we both have in front of us that we were putting together when, when we started the show, Ryder. But just, I mean, number one in the in the nation uh, in QBR and number two in NFL passer rating, uh, 139.4 on, on the season. I'll, I'll just pick those off. Yesterday, 21 of 27, 287 yards. One of those incompletions was a drop, four touchdowns, no turnovers. Uh, and so outside of that one Rutgers game, I believe it's 15 touchdowns and no picks. Yeah. I, mean, I didn't say Rutgers. I meant Bowling Green. I apologize. That was yeah. a mistake. Point. And he was setting up his throws with his legs. He was able to maneuver outside the pocket. Like I said, make uh, off-platform throws that are rare in college football, being able to deliver those kind of throws with tremendous accuracy, uh, especially the one to Roman Wilson for the 25-yard touchdown in the – First quarter that kind of basically sealed the outcome uh, already at that point. Uh, it was it was a very impressive performance. He also bit balls at the tight windows. Uh, you know, I think his touchdown pass to Colston Loveland. I mean, that was pretty good coverage by Angelo Gross uh, and Loveland. Uh, you know, made the catch and and uh, did the Paul Bunyan pose. <laughs> <laughs> in the end zone. And again, uh, McCarthy kind of has rebounded from that Bowling Green week and just has consistently gotten better and pushed him, you know, pushed himself into the conversation as potentially the best quarterback in college football right now. His name is in the conversation and no, yeah. con- no conversation would be complete without his name, right? There may right. be prospects more tantalizing like Caleb Williams. There might be quarterbacks with bigger numbers like Michael Penix, uh, but nobody is is winning and producing and efficiencying like JJ yeah. McCarthy. I mean, like here here's one of my favorite combinations of numbers. He's number two in the nation in completion percentage, seventy eight point one percent, and he is number two in the nation in yards per attempt, ten point six. Right? Like now, that does not necessarily mean every throw is downfield, but it means they're averaging about a first down every single time he throws the ball, right? So these are not just, and we've watched every game. These are not check downs to running backs. It is all mid-level throws, deep level throws. Uh, I mean, this offense is built in that 10 to 19 yard window. Roman Wilson on crossers, Cornelius Johnson on those 14 yard comebacks. And yesterday it was the tight ends. Uh, AJ Barner, <laughs> matched his whole season, right? He had nine catches for 93 yards on the year. And then yesterday he had eight for 99 and a touchdown. Colston Loveland, a pair of touchdowns and 70 yards. Uh, those two and J.J. McCarthy uh, per pro football focus. It, you always like when the when the eye, ta- eye test matches their numbers, they graded out the three highest uh, Wolverines uh, on offense. Yeah, the, the efficiency actually reminds me of Tua Tagovailoa, and when I saw him in 2018, it was uh, it was similar. He was producing at a similar rate. Uh, I think his he threw guys open more than JJ does, and some of his throws and operation was smoother. But McCarthy had, I think, a more powerful arm, and 
is more athletic than than Tua too. So I mean, it's they're little different styles, but the efficiency and everything reminds me of Tonga Vailoa, who honestly was the best college quarterback I've seen in person, just from a uh, just an execution level and advanced knowledge of the game and ability for because I just had come from covering the NFL and that that was the closest thing it reminded me of Tony Romo when I was covering Dallas I mean just again being able to kind of see things before they materialize and I think JJ as as his career has progressed is starting to get more and more like that yeah, so key for a quarterback. Two and two things. One, uh, I would like all the listeners along with me. We're going to start a drinking game. Um, when when yeah. a, when Reiner mentions Alabama or makes an Alabama comp, we drink. I mean, I mean, of course, it's, it's, it's relevant. It's what you're. Here, it's, what you're oh, it's always relevant. It's what you're here to do. It's just I think they do it so like our our Gannett affiliate, the Lansing State yeah. Journal. One of my buddies and our colleague Graham Couch. Um, they have a joke on Spartan Speak with Chris Solari. Um, whenever <laughs> that he Graham mentions how he covered Western all the time. So, um, but but I oh, I ask you about Alabama and you covered Nick Same. I mean, it's it's dope. It's awesome. I'm I'm just giving well, you well, I, I no, but I think it's particularly relevant because they're this they're the standard. That's yep. what Michigan. That's what I was assessing Michigan against when I first got here, and Michigan was far underneath, far below that standard. Uh, in 2019, when I first started covering the Wolverines, and Michigan has slowly approached that standard, and now is can be mentioned in that. I mean, they've got players that look like Alabama's players now. They're executing like Alabama is executing. I mean, that's a that's nothing but praise for what you know Jim Harbaugh's done and what Michigan has done. That is very high praise, and and that and that is what you do. I mean, we all. I guess you compare it to your own experiences. And right. while this is, I mean, this might fall on deaf ears for this podcast. Um, the best team in little era I had covered up close, really the, mo- the only one was Michigan State in 2014, mm-hmm. 2015 with Connor Cook when right. 13, 14, 15, when they went 34 and five, mm-hmm. won a cup, Rose Bowl, Big Ten. I mean, it was a similar power era to Michigan. And JJ uh, McCarthy is playing far above. The level and Connor Cook was a great quarterback. I mean, he was a killer back then. And JJ, even on those third on those third and longs uh, that, that that we're talking about, um, JJ McCarthy now on the year, I, I have some stats in front of me on third and long situations passing. So like when when you when gotta have it throws right, nineteen for twenty for three hundred and thirty nine yards and four scores. He's completing ninety five percent of his passes on third and long mm-hmm. on on. on obvious down in distance like every single person knows you're passing and yet you got to do it you i mean you'd think that you'd have to just throw it away a couple times right because because like just with pressure it's just it's 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 really really um remarkable what he's doing and he's he's extending plays which again is is starting to lead to those completions i mean there's a couple of those plays again against michigan state that they must be just so frustrated because they they had him in their sights, especially the oncoming rushers, and he was able to get outside the pocket and then and then buy time, allow the receivers to get open a little bit more, and then fit the ball in. And it was uh, again a testament to his whole repertoire. You were seeing uh, JJ McCarthy in full bloom last last night. I mean, you know, against Michigan State, and it's fitting. 
really, that it happened there in East Lansing. Uh, him putting, really putting it all together. He said, uh, he's going to say the thing. I, I'm, I'm done asking about JJ or anyone about this offense, about their performances after the game, because every single time, and not knocking him, I mean, it's kind of coach speak, player speak, but every single time it's, we're not near the surface, haven't scratched it. That's what he said yet yesterday. So much, so much room to go. Like, eventually you can, like Jim came in and was like, oh, yeah, that was one of the best games we've played. Like that was dominant, right? And so uh, I'm, I'm just I'm done asking about <laughs> about uh, like where this team can go in terms of offense and, and overall numbers. However, he is now, e- even as he was pulled in another third quarter, he's now amassing the stats for a Heisman campaign, right? Like not just these advanced numbers, these number one in QBR, number one in pro football focus grade. Um, number two in passer efficiency, but he's number eight in the nation in touchdowns, right? He's top 50 at 50 in passing yards per game. Um, and the only reason, and that's just one like cumulative stat. I think everybody can clearly look past that one. So he, he, he's got, he's got quite the case. And I believe that is why, or just one reason why, I mean, the state of this program, when, when, when you go into the bye week, there's, there's nothing more Michigan could have wanted to hope for or accomplish. I mean, all the way down to their health. They are they even yesterday when when someone was down on the field, it looked like an MSU player, right? Like, I mean, yeah. no, that's just coincidental. Anyone can get hurt in football, but I'm just saying, like, they're they're pretty lined up. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Michigan it just looks uh, efficient across the board. They look, you know, uh, at at functioning at the most optimal level uh, in all facets. And, I mean, they look like a, a championship-type caliber team with championship DNA. So, uh, I mean, it's a pretty pretty good situation for Michigan as it heads into the bye week. Yeah. And on the other side, we're going to talk about part of that championship DNA because it is not just physical strength. It is mental strength. Um, Michigan players, coaches, staff, program, everybody has needed to show that mental fortitude uh, and togetherness as scandal. I, I don't know about scandal, but investigation after questionable situation continues to arise, uh, yet Michigan just sort of powers on. So we will talk about the sign stealing allegations, the plot, uh, Harbaugh's comments, what it all means. We'll be back. This is Hell Yes. Just going to run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. All right, we are back. And uh, while everything currently, as we just discussed, came up came up Michigan uh, on the field this weekend, uh, leading into it, um, it, things were not trending Michigan's way. For the second time uh, in less than a calendar year, the NCAA is investigating the Wolverines program. And this time, it 
Dep- it depends which <laughs> depends which party line you're walking, right? It's either very serious or nothing to see at all, uh, Reiner. Yeah, I mean it's a it's a bizarre story. I mean, and again, uh, as I wrote in uh, Saturday's paper, uh, it looks like it was uh, came straight out of some kind of dime novel. Uh, I mean, you have espionage. You got a guy with like a military background, shadowy figure. Uh, <laughs> you've got. Um, you know, code breaking going on. It's it's uh, it's an interesting situation. You've got a vast network, according yeah, to the athletic of, of spies. Yeah, I mean, it's uh, it's a bizarre story uh, uh, that's got a lot of intrigue around it. But uh, I mean, I don't know. I mean, it's uh, again, these are allegations, and it's just one more thing that Michigan has to deal with during the season. I mean, it's not something new for them because they've had so many distractions over the past 13 months. I mean, you had the JJ Caden McNamara quarterback controversy. You had the, uh, you know, the Mozzie Smith situation. I mean, you've had the, uh, uh, Harbaugh to the NFL rumors. You've had Matt Weiss, uh, being fired under suspicious circumstances. You've had, uh, the Shemmy Shembeth. Yeah. Uh, and you had the NCA investigation, the first one, uh, into, uh, uh, you know, whatever for that uncovered potentially for uh, minor violations and includes uh, an allegation of Harbaugh not cooperating with the investigation, which ultimately led to the three game suspension uh, in September. So uh, for Harbaugh and it's uh, it's just one thing after the uh, after another with this program, yet it doesn't seem to affect them at all on the field. Right. And so I'm sure as many people have asked you as have asked me. What's going on, right? What, the, like, what does this mean? Uh, and, like, is the sky falling? And I just caution away from reacting super far, as we both try to do in all walks of life, super far one way or the other. Here's how I would present this. Let's say this exact same story, everything we heard came out of Columbus, right? In, the, in this past week. What would the narrative around Ann Arbor have been, right? Very different than it was now. Sure. So, so I'm just saying, and, and that's, and, and that's even if we had the exact same set of facts. So inherently what that means is, and it's human nature, people are going to believe what, what they want to believe. Do what yeah. they want to believe. Yeah. Um, a lot of it, I mean, it's very political, frankly. Uh, it's yeah, just, it's, a, it's you, a tribal society. Yeah. yeah. And, and that's not unique to Michigan. It's 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 every it's every fan base. Um, but Michigan's got the biggest fan base, and uh, and a lot of fans with a lot of I mean notable alums and people, and a lot of and a lot of storylines that that just sort of go that go their way. If we're being if we're being honest, and and that is not saying we do that. In case that needs any clarity, um, but what, but I'm I'm just saying I don't want to. I don't want to jump and say, Michigan, this is nothing. Like, because people have asked me, like, oh, so like this is going to be no big deal. I'd be like, well, I wouldn't say that. And then they're like, oh, like, so like Harbaugh knew they were cheating. I'm like, I don't know if I'd say that either. But the one, the one thing I wonder if there the evidence is uncovered, I mean, what punishment can uh, be administered that would affect Michigan this season? That's the question. I mean, the NCAA moves at a glacial pace. Typically, it'll be retroactive. Would the yeah yeah would the Big Ten intervene? I mean, it's a uh, there's a lot of uh, 
you know, gray area with this as much as there's a gray area with the whole entire story itself. And so, uh, yeah, I mean, it's, but in the court of public opinion, it's gonna, it's gonna, the cloud of allegations is gonna hover over Michigan. And again, it's gonna affect the public perception of the team and its success, which, I mean, it's, it's kind of a shame for the players because nobody, they can't, prove that otherwise i mean zach dinner said after the game i mean we just shut them you know michigan state out what else what what more do you want us to do yet there's there's going to be people that again are going to be so convicted in their beliefs about michigan you know uh potentially doing something wrong that you know that they're not going to believe that any of the results are valid so it's it's just a it's kind of a shame for the players that they have to experience this because and even the coaches themselves, because now people are going to question, you know, whether their, their tactics and their, their in-game adjustments were the result of, you know, finding out the play signals uh, in real time and then being able to apply them, say, in the second half when Michigan has typically been dominant. And so, yeah, there's, there's well, any, all anyone who's guilty, anyone who's guilty. This is not too bad for obviously if right. for, of whatever they've committed however right. to your point for the you're right for the players for anyone who's just tangentially affiliated and is getting i mean frankly it's what michigan state's entire program has gone through all season right specific i mean if, you, if you're talking about like i mean mel mel tucker's actions and how he torpedoed that torpedo right like no one like right maybe but this, he was, this, but this is more of a competitive advantage situation where people are uh, alleging that Michigan's success is largely responsible or has been largely, I, yeah, okay. attributed, largely attributed to the play. Uh, I, I see what you're saying. I just meant merely the mental fortitude it takes of a play for players, right? To like, oh, well, this isn't fair. This is not their situation yet. They have to deal with it. And I was making a right, comparison because right. like you but, can come together. Right there, you see what happens when things fracture and when teams use it as unit. Right, right, and it's just. But again, it's a, it's such a it's such a tough situation because if you if you are innocent and you have these accusations, you know, hovering above you, there's nothing you can do to really shift public perception away. I mean, again, people are so entrenched in their beliefs. Uh, whether they love Michigan and think they did nothing wrong or whether they hate Michigan and assume the worst, it's, it's an unfortunate situation for the players and even the coaches to get caught up, caught in if they are in fact innocent. And while your question was like, how does it affect this season? Right. Maybe, maybe it doesn't, maybe it does. It's it will certainly affect something somewhere, right? Like, right. And then the question is, if it affects next year, like, I mean, the the first NCAA investigation is not done. Jim Harbaugh's suspension was self imposed by the by the university, right. Right? right? They still need to go through that process and come to some sort of resolution. That's one. Now, a second NCAA investigation. I mean, I'm not certain how. Again, this is still very new, so who knows if it if it gets dropped or if it gets, if there's another level one charge, right. Or, or anywhere in between. However, it's more murkiness. It's more uncertainty. And for Jim Harbaugh, who has already shown a willingness to, to, to be looking elsewhere, even when things are good, uh, 
what does it mean for him, right? Yeah, I mean, I, it does raise questions. Although, I mean, part of me wonders, I mean, again, Harbaugh's weathered this storm so much already and, you know, and has taken uh, so much heat. And, I mean, he even was with his daughter, right, you know, at the at the game. I mean, referenced her. I mean, I think he likes his family situation here. Uh, I mean, his his, uh, his father lives nearby or next door. I can't, I don't know, in the same neighborhood, it seems. And uh, he's established his life here. He's been here nine years. Uh, does he really want to uproot his family? That's a question. I mean, he's uh, pushing 60 now. And, uh, and, you know, he's got Michigan at rocking and rolling like he's never had before. I mean, this is the best period of his tenure uh, and it's not even close. And so, I mean, does he want to up and leave and like, again, cower, I guess, in, in the face of his critics, I guess, and kind of slink off to, you know, to somewhere else. I don't, I don't think that's his nature either. So there's part of him that I can, I can see him digging in and wanting to, to fight this to the very end and st- stick with Michigan through these, uh, uh, you know, maybe challenging times, I guess, as far as public perception is. And then, uh, and then yet there's another part that he does really want to go compete in the NFL and uh, win that Super Bowl. And so maybe this is the uh, impetus for him to, uh, to push, to push for that opportunity again uh, for the third year in a row. So I, I don't know. It's, it's hard to tell with Jim Harbaugh. Nobody can get in the mind of the man. It could so go either way, right? So it seems, uh, just Jim Harbaugh. And because I'm not trying to imply that he's he wants to leave Michigan or is eager to leave Michigan. However, his hand might be, quote unquote, forced. If the NCAA, I mean, he said it yesterday. He was asked, like, do you feel like you have a target on your back? He's like, I mean, yeah, you've kind of seen what happened. Uh, That's still the case, right? And so say they're like, yeah, no, you're not coaching the first eight games next year or or whatever. I just made that number up. But if it's anything substantial for next year, he might not want to sit out a a month or two or, and I mean, maybe there's no suspension. I guess we just don't know. But I think I have reason to believe Michigan was moving down the, the, the certain Jim Harbaugh path. There's, there was a lot of alignment. I'm not saying they're moving away from that. However, this does table it and they do need to everybody needs to look around and make sure that this was just some quote unquote rogue staffer, right? And not this vast network and that Jim Harbaugh did not have any intelligence around this. Yeah. That just, I mean, that just needs to be, there needs to be no, I mean, I think everyone, everyone who I've spoken to is very certain of, or feels very certain of that, but it's not something you can feel certain about. You need to be certain. Totally agree. I mean, there, there, there can't be really much ambiguity as far as uh, the final determination as far as what Harbaugh's role in it, if there was any role or if this is even a thing uh, that's really valid. I mean, there's there's a the investigation still has to play out and the facts have to be uh, uncovered and uh, laid out for everybody. And Michigan can make that determination after that has occurred uh, for now kind of Michigan and Harbaugh are in a bit of a holding pattern and uh, the only focus they can really uh, have is on the season itself and kind of completing the task this year with the championship. The shame of it again is though, I mean, 
if you write this story about Michigan football in 2023 and it ends with the national championship, I mean, this is going to be kind of a side story in it and it can't be ignored. And so same with the Harbaugh uh, three game suspension at the uh, uh, beginning of the year. It's, it's part of the, it's part of the plot of this. And that's a conversation we had earlier. Right. And I remember us and I remember us having it and, I mean, I think we just had a difference of opinion, but I remember if I'm remembering it correctly, you were like, yeah, like paraphrasing. It's too bad that that was, that that happened at the beginning of the season. Just if they do go on this run and there's a side story, I did not see that as a bothersome side story. I mean, like, yes, it is a footnote. However, the allegations and the charges were nothing that related to like super X and O on the field cheating. Like it was, it was, it was, it was, what seemed more ticky tacky? This appears to be like j- just in terms of headline, right? Just more bra- like brazen, just more shock, more shock value. Um, and this one in the co- court of public opinion, really, I think, will right or right, wrong or indifferent, does have it. It, it does. And it does, and it feed, and it feeds into the idea that Harbaugh is really not. Well, liked amongst his peers, I mean, that's why, I mean, he says he has a target on the back and people are envious or don't like people who are successful. Uh, I mean, Harbaugh has rankled the coaching establishment with the satellite camps when he first got there, you know, angering the SEC and, um, you know, even got into it with Ryan Day over the use of uh, uh, a position coach during the COVID ramp up period in 2020, which led to the days that we're, we're you know we're going to hang a hundred on you and uh the back and forth days, there. and it, uh, yeah and so it's been it's been one thing after the other and it, again he's he's become a target by the by his some of his brazenness as it relates to the his own peers and i think they've uh that's you know how this kind of story mushrooms and comes out uh in the middle of a season i mean here michigan is really at its highest point uh, during Harbaugh's tenure. And lo and behold, you know, here come these allegations that seem to be coming from elsewhere where people are accusing him of, uh, you know, again, uh, illegally obtaining uh, play signals. Yeah. And it's why I felt like a, like a shrink, like a therapist yesterday asking him because Harbaugh was talking about the whole situation. And I was like, well, how do you like? He said, "Like, yeah, we do feel like a target, or this or that." And I was like, "Well, how how does that how does that make you feel, though?" Mm-hmm. And he was just like, "Just keep going, right?" Like, it was just it was just like a, I I annoyed, like he, like he he but but he can't address it. It's like he wants to stay <laughs> to use his phrase. Like, it's like he wants to stay above it, but he's but he is it. He is yeah. always in it. You know what I yeah. mean? And Har- and Harbaugh takes things personally. I mean, it just it's the truth. I mean, he, I mean, great competitors do. Yeah, exactly. I mean, you know, and uh, it is a, it's a sign of his personality and everything. I mean, uh, you know, it's a kind of an us against the world uh, mentality. I mean, he he, it's a, you're either with me or you're against me, and that's how Harbaugh looks at things. Uh, and I expect him to look at this situation very much like that as well. I mean. Uh, you know, the whole Michigan versus everybody, it's Harbaugh versus everybody in his eyes. And so, you know, it's, uh, he's, he's ready to take on his enemies and his opponents and rub it in their face. And, 
you know, I think, uh, you know, that final touchdown uh, against MSU was kind of another, you know, shot across the bow, I guess, you know, from, from Harbaugh's standpoint, uh, you know, I mean, again, they didn't need to do it. They could have probably taken a knee. I mean, but, uh, you know, MSU kind of, uh, rankled them obviously with the tunnel incident the year before. And, you know, they just had gotten a, uh, sports or, or personal foul penalty, I think just a, a moment before that. And so why not just, you know, drive the stake in them. And so that's, that's how Harbaugh sees his opponents. And, uh, you know, I think, it, you know, the team will probably rally behind him and the situation, and there's going to be a level of defiance there with how Michigan plays. And uh, they're going to channel Harbaugh's energy into their performances. And it looks like they were doing that on Saturday against uh, the Spartans. That's exactly right, Reiner. And it doesn't look like it's going to stop anytime soon, except for the bye week. Uh, that's really all that's going to be able to slow Michigan down at this point. Uh, and then after the bye, very quickly, Reiner, before we wrap up, it is bye week, Purdue, Penn State. It is now a Penn State game that does not look as daunting as it did 24 hours ago. Uh, Ohio State easily took care of Penn State 20 to 6. Um, some thoughts about that uh, ahead of what what is will be Michigan's first true test of the year. It, it, it's still a test, right? Yeah, it's a, it's a test, but it doesn't look as, uh, I guess, daunting, as you said, uh, going into it. Uh, the fact is, is that Penn State's offense doesn't look like it's uh, championship caliber due hour. Uh, couldn't get anything going against uh, Jim Knowles' defense. And uh, Ohio State pretty much had the game in control for uh, pretty much from – you know, once they once they established the lead, and then uh, they really weren't threatening the rest of the rest of the game. And so, uh, you know, I don't know what it says about Ohio State, uh, but it doesn't say much about Penn State. I don't think. I mean, it was their first uh, true test, and they failed it pretty badly, uh, just because the offense was not impressive at all. It just doesn't look like they would be able to go toe to toe with Michigan. You know, even even at a even at Beaver Stadium. No, it it doesn't. And uh, I wish I could give credit to the Twitter account who I saw it from. I saw a tweet that said Penn State is just Iowa with a finished basement, and I about choked on my meal. <laughs> I mean, it was just, it was just so good. Like that's what it it is. It is. It is. It's 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 white collar Iowa. It's just bad. It's they they got a great defense. They can't like their their offense. I mean, they haven't done it for twenty five years, but just there's no there's no deep shots there's no downfield attack no no and it's just like that's it's not they're not going to move the ball consistently against michigan like i think michigan i bet the line will probably be like michigan minus six and a half and that feels like free like free right now right now um any last thoughts before we uh say our thanks and our goodbyes I, yeah, I'm just gonna hop in here real quick. Sorry, guys. I'm just yeah, gonna hop in here. Oh boy, what's up, we're Andrew? Not, we're not doing picks this week. We got a bye week, so I need to take my time to to gloat about my perfect Ohio State uh, Penn State prediction. Completely nailed that one there. Uh, said Ohio State. So people were maybe sleeping on them. Is their defense maybe a little bit better than people thought? Maybe they're they're a little bit tougher than than people think. You think is that going to be a tougher game against the Buckeyes in the final game of the season, or is Penn State just not that good? I think that Penn State is just not that good. Um, I, th- I think Michigan yeah. also looks better than Ohio State. Um, and I think Penn State is just not that good. 
I, I mean, how many times I I got Charlie Brown again by by James Franklin? <laughs> this one's gonna be different. Like, I mean, how many times has he got to give us the okie doke? Right? They lose their two right. hardest games every single year, and Ohio State has not shown that it can be the level of Michigan. And I know this is transitive property. I know that's how you get in trouble in football. And yeah, it's they're gonna be at home. They're gonna be. It's gonna have a lot of juice. What Penn State needs is to get ahead of game script on Michigan, right? Make Michigan face a little adversity somehow, like turn JJ over. Um, but that's down the road. I think. I think. I think. I found out Penn State was bad. I didn't think that Ohio State was great. Their defense was good. Yeah, I'm most curious to see what Jim Knowles' defense does. I mean, in the matchup with Michigan. I mean, I think you know the lessons that he learned from that game. Uh, in 2022, I mean, especially in the second half, uh, um, and some of the gambles he made. I don't know how he's going to do that in another year in the system. How well that defense has adjusted to him? It, it looks pretty good so far. But again, was that more to do with you know Penn State's limited limitations on offense? I mean, this is an attack, like you said, that has not really thrown deep at all this season, and they seem very cautious as far as how they use Drew Aller. Uh, in the passing game. And so, uh, yeah, Penn State just, again, doesn't look ready for prime time themselves. And uh, it was a pretty uh, eye-opening performance that kind of uh, suggests that Penn State's ceiling is much lower than we anticipated, you know, going into the game. Right. I I agree. Even after – and that's on us. We both picked Penn State last week, right? Yeah. And so they yeah. got me. Um, but And we should have known because Drew Aller, even in the win against West Virginia, when they put up 38 points, he threw for four touchdowns, 31 passes, had like 150 yards. It's just mm-hmm. it's just all checked down. And we said it at the time, but I just I thought well, – I think Penn State could cover. I said Penn, Penn State yeah. could cover. I thought, they, yeah. I thought that defense, but – they were never in good field position. Really a punt. It was 10 to 6. Ohio State was backed up in the third quarter. I mean, on the heel of their own goal line. And this Penn State dude could have fair caught it on the on the 50. He let it bounce over his head. It was a 75-yard punt. It ended up at like the 24. And then Penn State went backwards, flipped it. Ohio State flipped the field. It, the field position completely flipped. And then Penn State could never catch up again. And that's how bad their offense is. We're talking field position. Um but since Andrew wanted to bring up the picks very quickly, since we won't get to do it uh, last week, Andrew two and two last week, Reiner two and two last week, yours truly three and one now six one and one in the last two weeks. Don't look now, boys. But Andrew and I are both 15, 12, and four. Reiner is still right there uh, at 13, 14, and four. Uh, so that's going to do it, unless Andrew wanted to chime in. Andrew, any thoughts? Uh, just finally felt like I was on the wrong side of one with that Alabama Tennessee game. I mean, yeah. Joe Milton totally gave that thing away, and and they they gave Alabama everything they could for a fourteen point loss. You know that one felt like a little bit of rivalry. But as Tony has so kindly pointed out time and time again, there's been some that have gone my way. So not one to complain too much. <laughs> one or two, one or two. We did. We the good guy. The good guys got the good guys got one this week. Um, <laughs> all right, all right, everybody. Uh, thanks as always for listening. Rate, review, subscribe, and thank you to uh, those who make it possible. This show, Editor-in-Chief Nicole Avery Nichols, Executive Editor Anjanette Delgado, Sports Editor Kirkland Crawford, Audio Engineer Robin Chan, and the man you just heard from, Andrew Burkle. For Reiner, I'm Tony. No, you won't hear from us for a week. Everybody be safe. Enjoy. 
if you hear from us, it's because there was some breaking news. This is a one show week. This is our bye week. Uh, I'll be up north. I don't know where, where Reiner will be, but looking forward to it. So thanks, everyone. Talk to you next week. Just going to run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts.